0: صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا ما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما Allahumma who must be Allah, Muhammad, in Wallah, Ali, Muhammad, Kamasul, later, Allah, Ibrahim, Wallah, Ali, Ibrahim, in the Khamid, Majid. Allah, who mabarik, Allah, Muhammad, in Wallah, Ali, Muhammad, Kamabarik, to Allah, Ibrahim, Wallah, Ali, Ibrahim, in the Khamid, Majid. Respect to listeners, Salam alaikum, Rahmatullah, Ibrahim. Ramadan begins in a few days. As promised, inshallah, today I'll speak on the topic of fasting, food for the soul. Last says in the Quran O oh believers, fasting has been prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those who came before you. perhaps you may attain taqwa. The main message of this verse is that, or one of the main messages of this verse, is that fasting's primary benefit, its primary purpose, is to create taqwa in a person. Fasting has many benefits. mental, physical, disciplinary and all of these are good but they aren't the primary purpose or the main objective and goal of fasting. In Islam and especially in the month of Ramadan, a person doesn't fast with the Primary goal and objective of becoming physically healthy, although that may be one of the ancillary benefits. A person doesn't fast in the month of Ramadan with the express intention of gaining mental clarity, although, again, it's one of the accrued benefits of fasting. What Allah tells us is that the, he has set <coughs> fasting for the believers. He has prescribed it for the believers in the hope that you, they may attain taqwa in Islam and especially for the fast of the month of Ramadan as also for any other time of the year. Believers have been instructed to fast in the hope that this period of fasting, this exercise of fasting, will instill in them, create and develop in them, taqwa. Now, what exactly is taqwa? We hear this word a lot and the word taqwa, this term is to be found in every aspect of our religion. In marriage when the Prophet would perform the nikah, then he would preface the contract of nikah with a short sermon. And this short sermon in the hadith is known as khutbatul hajah, the sermon of need. So even before joining two people in matrimony, the Prophet wasallam would recite this khutbah. And one of the unique things about the khutbah of nikah is that the Prophet would recite three verses of the Qur'an, and then with the praise of Allah and His Messenger wasallam. But these three verses, they <coughs> constitute and form the bulk of the khutbah, of nikah. And the theme of all three verses is just one thing, which is taqwa. So even at the time of nikah, the Prophet's sunnah khutbah, Sunnah sermon, an introduction to the contract of marriage was the verses of khutbah. Oh, sorry, the verses of taqwa. When Allah wa ta'ala speaks of hajj in the Quran, Allah mentions اشهر المعلومات فمن فرض فيه الحج فلا رفض ولا فسوق ولا جدال في الحج وما تفعلوا من خير يعلمه الله وتزودوا فان خير الزاد التقوى and the reference is Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala reminds believers about the obligation of Hajj and then he says, when you do embark on this journey of hajj, when you do depart, then, what does a wadu, make sure you take your provisions. And the best of provisions on this journey of hajj is taqwa Even when speaking about clothing, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and the verse prior to this, phrase speaks about the about clothing that clothing Allah speaks about clothing in the Quran in various ways that it's meant to conceal you it's meant to conceal your privacy and your chastity and it's also meant to guard you from the elements from extreme cold and extreme heat but in the context of clothing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says taqwa and the clothing of taqwa, this is far better. So whether it's zakah, whether it's hajj, whether it's salah, whether it's fasting, every pillar of religion, every aspect of religion has an element of taqwa. And Allah and Rasul Sallallahu Wasallam have spoken about taqwa in relation to all of these things and more. So taqwa is a very important term in religion. So what exactly is taqwa? And I wish to elaborate on this because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ That Allah has prescribed and ordained fasting for you. Just as he made it obligatory and prescribed it for those who came before you. alakum <laughs> تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa. But before I actually speak about taqwa, uh, the first part of the verse tells us that Allah has prescribed fasting for us just as he prescribed it for those who came before us. So fasting is not new. It's nothing extraordinary just for the believers but it's always been a tradition of every religion, every faith and the messengers of Allah prescribed fasting. They practiced it themselves and they prescribed it for all of their followers. So fasting has always been an elementary part of all faiths Religions And religious traditions So it's not new And it's a continuation of that tradition That we have fasting in Islam And what's the primary purpose? Allah says لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps you may attain taqwa So what exactly is taqwa? The word taqwa comes from guarding It means to guard To protect And taqwa means anything which protects and guards someone or something. So it's a noun, any item of protection. And it's also, it can mean a guard. And it's also an adverb meaning the process and the act of guarding. So taqwa means either a guard, such as a shield or a barrier, or the act and the process of guarding and protecting from something or someone. And so this is the original meaning of taqwa, to guard, to shield, to protect. Furthermore, protection from what? What? When we speak about taqwa in the context of religion, it, re- it mainly means, Allah keeps on saying in the Quran, in one verse, Allah says, In another verse, O mankind, O people, observe taqwa in respect of your Lord. In another verse, O believers, observe taqwa in respect of Allah as taqwa should be observed in respect to Allah. Now I've, been, I've translated these verses rather freely for the purpose of explanation. So taqwa in respect of Allah, what does it mean? Does it mean that we guard and protect ourselves from Allah? As I said, Taqwa means to guard and to protect, and that means to be wary, to be cautious. So what these verses mean is rabbakum, O people, be wary of your Lord. O believers, be wary of Allah as you should be wary of him. i.e. You should fear Allah. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is one to be cautious of, wary of. As part of our respect and reverence for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one should guard oneself from the displeasure of Allah by guarding oneself from the disobedience of Allah. These are just some of the meanings incorporated into the word taqwa. So going back to fasting, what does fasting actually do? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, perhaps you may attain taqwa. What fasting does is that it creates a higher awareness, a more acute awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It makes a person conscious of Allah. It, and when a person is conscious of Allah, a person is cautious of Allah. <coughs> Consciousness leads to caution, leads to wariness and guarding oneself from Allah. Imagine cameras. We behave when we know, or when we are conscious, of someone monitoring, watching, or observing us. The moment we are conscious, we modify our behavior. Even children, even infants. If children and infants are conscious of an adult, a parent, watching and observing them, Infants, even at the age of two or three, have been scientifically observed to modify their behaviour... ...because they are extremely conscious and therefore cautious of anyone who is watching or observing them. And that's an infant. And as adults, we do exactly the same. If we are ever conscious of being watched, of being observed or monitored by a live human being in our vicinity or by a camera, then we are extremely cautious. Consciousness leads to caution. And this is exactly what taqwa is. Taqwa is the idea of being forever, constantly conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When a person is conscious of Allah, a person will be cautious of Allah. That's taqwa. And we have to be cautious of Allah, how can we claim to be the ibad, the servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Love him and obey him. Fulfill our dues to him. Fulfill his rights. When we disregard Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but we take into regard and consideration everyone and everything else, if we know that a camera is watching us, we behave. If we know that people are watching us, we behave. And yet, when it comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nominally we believe that Allah is watchful, Allah is all-hearing, all-knowing, all-observing, all-seeing. And yet we disobey Allah with impunity, with a sense of impunity. So taqwa, and Allah Azzawajal, says, O believers... O believers, be wary of Allah, be cautious of Allah, as you should be wary of Him, and do not die except as ones who submit to Him. Allah reminds us again and again throughout the Quran about Taqwa, and as I said earlier on, Taqwa comes into play, and taqwa is mentioned in the context of almost every aspect of religion, and even personal and social life. So, much so that even marriage, as I said, before a person gets married, the khutbah of nikah contains three verses whose most prominent theme is taqwa. Allah and his Rasul wasallam reminded everyone repeatedly about taqwa. And this is that consciousness, that awareness and that wariness of taqwa that the fast intends to create. So the awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leads to wariness of Him. Consciousness of Allah Azzawajal, leads to caution in respect of Allah. That is taqwa. Now, how does fasting achieve this? The consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, although we think, although we may think that it's mental, it's actually more spiritual than mental. It's more spiritual than mental. The awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, again, we may think it's mental, but in reality, it's actually more spiritual than mental. And this is what fasting is designed to achieve. Now, how does it achieve that? And spiritually, not mentally. Allah subhanahu wa taala has created us as human beings. But the essence of our life is our ruh, our spirit. This is what makes us who we are. Our bodies are important to some degree, but they are not as important as the soul. It's the soul which makes a person a person, not the body. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the souls of mankind without the body. Initially Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Created Adam alayhi salam And then instructed the angels To prostrate to Adam alayhi salam But the words of the Quran are very telling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says فَإِذَا سَوَّيْتُهُ وَنَفَخْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي فَقَعُوا سَاجِدِينَ When I have fashioned him when I have perfected him, so weight means when I have levelled him—not level in the sense of flatness, but levelled in the sense of when I have moulded him and fashioned him in proportion. I, I have made him perfect, equal, i.e., in proportion. So when I have proportionately fashioned and moulded Adam, then. Allah doesn't say then fall into prostration before him, because that would have meant falling into prostration before the body of Adam alayhi sala. Rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَإِذَا سويته, When I have molded him, when I have fashioned him, when I have proportionately made him and perfected him as a body, ruhi, And furthermore, when I have blown into him of my spirit, لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ Then, why does Allah say my spirit? This isn't uh, the spirits of Allah per se. Allah attributes our ruh, our ruh, our spirit that resides within us, as an act of honor and dignity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala attributes it to himself. Imagine, that is the position of the ruh. The ruh that resides in a person is sacred. It's special. It's not the body that's special. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the body of Adam alayhi salam and says, when I have created the body and I have blown into this body of my spirit. So it's our spirits, but Allah attributes it to himself as an act of honor, as a thing of dignity. Just as Allah says of the Kaaba, this is the house of Allah. So it's an attribution of, it's not a physical attribution, it's an attribution of honor and dignity. So, Allah tells us in this verse that the body is the body. When I have created the body of Adam and I have blown into him of my spirit, of my ruh, then you fall into prostration before him. Two things. The verse tells us that the body is not as important as the spirit. The body, Allah just says the body. The spirit, Allah attributes to himself. Allah has honored our spirits. By attributing our spirits to himself. Furthermore, the verse tells us that Allah told the angels to prostrate not to the body, but only to the spirit of Adam alayhi salam when he was in that body. So what the angels were prostrating to was the ruh of Adam alayhi salam and not just his body. So it's it's the ruh which is the essence of life. The body is a cage. It's a wrapping. It's it's not that important. This is why the ruh survived and lived before it came into the world. It will continue to live and survive after it leaves the world. And in order for it to make its journey through earth, on earth, through this life, Allah gave it. A suitable body and carriage and wrapping. That's all. The body didn't exist before birth, and it will disintegrate and deteriorate after death. But the spirits will live on. It's the spirits which lives. And in fact, we now know that even within this life on earth, this body is even more unimportant than we thought it was. Why? The body continues to change as we grow older. Our hairs, even as children, our teeth fall out. They are replaced. Once, if we lose our teeth, we can replace them with false teeth. Enamel, silver, gold, teeth. We can lose all our teeth, and we have dentures. Our hair falls out regularly throughout our life. Our, our body is actually quite independent of our soul, to the extent that after death, even after physical death, when the soul leaves the body, some parts of the body actually continue to grow before halting and then deteriorating. And they are the hairs and the nails. It's almost like they have a life of their own. So, hair falls out and is replaced. Hair is cut and replaced. Nails are clipped and they regrow. Our cells are constantly changing to the extent that within a few months, almost all the cells of our body are replaced. Within a few months. So the body that we have now. Is not the body we had a few months ago. It's the same hand. But the cells that made up this hand. Both externally as well as internally. Are replaced. So physically. We actually undergo so many changes throughout our whole life. And that's why. How important is that body? Again, we can lose all our limbs, or most of our limbs, and those limbs can be replaced by prosthetic and artificial limbs. They are now even talking about doing head... We've already got heart transplants, but now they are even talking about head transplants. So, subhanallah, so where, where how can you say this is the same person? The body is not that important, and uh, through recent scientific discoveries and medical advances, we've learned that, in fact, the body is even more unimportant than we thought it was. So what makes a person a person? It's not the body, it's the rule, it's the spirit. Now, having said all of that, It's a sad fact that we have a tendency to pay far more attention to our bodies than we do to our souls. We worship our bodies. We really do. The cosmetics industry is worth billions. When we look at each other, we see only apparent beauty. And we fail to see beyond the veneer, the facade, the wrapping, the thin film—we fail to see beyond apparent beauty and apparent unsavoriness. Even though Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself says, "Inna Allah la yanzuru ila wa amwalikum." وَلَكِنْ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ That even Allah, indeed Allah does not look at your figures, your appearances and your wealth. Rather Allah looks at your hearts and at your deeds. So even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, although He is the one who has given us these figures and these appearances, Allah himself, despite having given us these figures and appearances does not pay attention to them or look at them Allah looks beyond them to our hearts and our deeds but we have a tendency to look only at the exterior and never at the interior we can't see beyond apparent beauty we don't look at the beauty of a person's character all the ugliness of a person's character we pay more attention to just the external appearance and that's with others and even with ourselves the cosmetics industry is worth billions people undergo surgery cosmetic surgery plastic surgery they change their appearance their complexion their colour their shape not for any medical purpose, but only for cosmetic reasons. We spend so much beautifying ourselves, and sculpturing ourselves, chiseling ourselves. The fitness industry is worth billions. But even when it comes to fitness, yes, there is still a significant element of concern for health, so people resort to exercise and people resort to fitness and subscribe to gyms and go to gyms or exercise at home or outside with the specific intention of improving their health and guarding themselves against disease and ill health. But even when it comes to fitness there is also a significant element of fitness for the purpose of beauty, fitness for the purpose of appearance. So to appear to be fit and chiselled and muscular and attractive and appealing to others. There's even a phrase, your body is your temple, worship it. So we do worship our bodies. We lavish attention on our bodies. Food. Food, medicine. Food and consumption determine everything. Medicine is a huge industry. But again, it's all just for the physical body. Food and nourishment are again only for the physical body. And this leads us to fasting. When it comes to food, we are obsessed with diets. We are obsessed with superfoods and what do all these superfoods do what do all these diets do diets are designed to make you lose weight or to make you eat well and this is where superfoods come in the idea is that you can eat the same amount but these superfoods are excellent for unique nutritional benefits We pay a lot of money to buy foods that we think are good and will benefit us in a unique way because of their nutritional benefits, regard them as superfoods, and we are willing to pay extortionate amounts. We do so much for food, or we pay so much for food and for medicine. But again, all of this medicine and all of this nutrition is geared only towards a physical body. There is no consideration of the spirit. And this is where fasting comes in. And specifically, the fast of Ramadan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed fasting for us, made it obligatory for us. And why? It's because for 11 months of the year we lavish attention on our bodies. What would we think of someone who buys a car, never drives it, spends all their time and money polishing it, the exterior, never drives it? And... They are the drivers, so the person is a driver. The person says, I have a budget. I have a budget of 2,000 pounds a month. So 500 towards rent, 300 towards bills. I've got 1,200 surplus. Now, those 1,200 pounds I need to use for myself. Food and drink. Do you know what? I actually need those £1,200 for the car. So all £1,200 are spent on polishing, painting, and looking after the car. The person says, for myself, I'll starve. It doesn't matter. We would think the person's mad. Or a person has a donkey. And the person feeds the donkey but starves themselves. What would we think of such a person? Does it need elaboration? We may laugh at this person. We may scoff at this idea. And it may even sound silly for me to suggest it. But in reality, this is what we do with our ruh. Allah has given us a body. That body is our donkey. That body is our cage. This body is our carriage. It's our wrapping. It's our shell. The real person is a spirit that resides within the body. Yet, for all our lives, we starve the body. Sorry, we starve the ruh. We starve the real me, the real person. And we lavish all our attention, our food, our consumption, our nourishment, our nutrition, our care, our medicine, all our wealth. On the carriage, the external body. That's what we do. Pay no attention to the ruh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, منها It is from the earth that we have created you, i.e. the dust. And to the earth we shall return you. And from the earth we shall extract you once again. Allah created us, the bodies, from the dust of the earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create our bodies from any elements of the heavens. They say that we are stardust, that every part of us, every cell of us, comes from this world, this universe. In fact, even stardust. So parts of us may be constituted by particles that have come from stars. Still. Whichever galaxy or another part of the universe that our cells ultimately come from, these, this universe or these universes, the multisense, are still from the lower world other than the heavens. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created our bodies from the earth, from the lower world, from the dust of the earth, but the spirit, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, created the spirit, the ruh, in the heavens. Its place is heaven. And the place of the body is the earth. And each being's nourishment will come from its original source. The body was created from this world. So the food of the body, the nourishment of the body, will come from this world. Vegetation. Or even meat, the animals, feed on the vegetation of the earth. So whether we eat meat, whether we eat fish, whether we eat veg, vegetables, this food comes from this world because the nourishment and the support for each being i.e. the body, must come from the same source. Our bodies come from this world. The food and nourishment of this body will come from this world. But the spirit is not from this world. It's from the heavens. And the nourishment and the food of the spirit can never come from food and drink. It's alien to it. The nourishment and food of the spirit, of the ruh, comes from the heavens, which is the Holy Quran. It's a revelation. It's the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The ruh is from the heavens, its food will also come from the heavens. The body is from the earth, its food will also come from the earth. And yet, what do we do? For every day of our lives, we spend all our time, our money, our attention on just the physical body. In fact, we don't have the means, unless we pay attention to it, to nourish our ruh and our spirit. So what Allah tells us is that for at least one month of the year, you will be forced to starve your bodies so that you can feed your soul. For one month of the year, you will starve your bodies so that you can pay more attention to feeding and nourishing and caring for your starved soul. This is the purpose of fasting. And that's why, for throughout the day, we are forced to stop drinking, stop eating. Why? So that it's not a form of punishment, but so that we can divert our attention away from our bodies to our spirits. To our Ruh and in the process feed our Ruh. So, how do we feed our Ruh then? Okay, we may stop eating and drinking, but does that in itself automatically feed the Ruh? No. The idea is that one's fast should be a good fast. And what kind of fast? Allow me to explain. Fasting, the word song or siyam both mean fasting. Saum or siyam literally and originally means abstention. To refrain, to abstain, to desist, to withhold. So stopping and desisting from, with abstaining from, withholding from food and drink is our Saum and siyam. But as I said, the original meaning. Is to refrain and to abstain from anything So if a person Abstains from speech Just as Maryam alayhi salam The mother of Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala quotes her in the Quran That when she miraculously conceived the Prophet Isa alayhi salam And she was fearful that I have conceived miraculously but what will happen when I appear before the people? They will inevitably question me. So what do I say? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to her, you go before the people and if they question you say, إِنِّي sauma, falan al-yawma insiyya. That. Indeed, I have sworn a vow of silence. Sorry, literally the translation would be إِنِّي <inaudible> نَذَرْتُ Indeed, I have sworn a fast for the Gracious One, Allah. فَلَنْ أُكَلِّمَ الْيَوْمَ So this day I will never speak to anyone. Now, even this she didn't say. She signaled because they had a tradition of a vow of silence. And that's why even today, in monasteries, in nunneries, where monks and nuns, Christian monks and nuns reside, they have a tradition of observing silence. One of our teachers, he not teachers in religion, but he, he was a teacher in normal secular subjects, he is an English gentleman, uh, may Allah give him health, and uh, piety in his remaining years is quite old now. And this teacher embraced Islam, and he told us that he also spent time in a monastery, and he says that we used to observe long periods of silence. So in those long periods of silence, we just could not talk to anyone. So this tradition of observing silence, known as a fast, continues in Christian tradition, in monasteries and nunneries, where they spend hours and maybe an entire day, and sometimes even days, not talking to anyone. Their only conversation is with God. So, Maryam a.s. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told her, إِنِّي نظرت لرحمن to Say to the people, and even that, she didn't say it verbally, but she did it by signaling and indicating, and they understood, because this was a tradition amongst them, that she has sworn a vow of silence. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls this vow of silence, a fast. So that's what fasting means. Salm and siyam originally just mean abstaining. So if you abstain from speech, that's a fast. If you abstain from food and drink, that's a fast. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prescribed fasting for us. But fasting is not just in the sense of not eating and drinking, but it's abstention. It's refraining from everything which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala disapproves of. So a true fast is not one where you just remain hungry and thirsty. But a true fast is where you abstain from food, from drink, from haram thoughts, from haram speech, from haram conversation. From touching anything haram, walking towards anything haram, looking at and ogling at anything haram, speaking or uttering a single haram word, lending your ears to anything haram. This is a fast. So much so that there is even the fast of the heart and the mind that you don't think or dwell on anything displeasing to Allah. The fast of the heart, you don't entertain any thoughts or any feelings. You don't harbor any feelings that are haram. That there is purity, even in speech, even in thoughts, even in listening, even of the throat and stomach, and even of the heart. This is what you call a fast. Otherwise, Rasulullah says in a hadith, لَيْسَ لَهُ مِن صَيَامِهِ إِلَّا there is many a fasting person who gains nothing from the fast except hunger. So the person observes the full fast and abs- abstains from food and drink, but not from anything else. So what happens? By the end of the fast, Rasulullah says they've gained nothing from the fast except hunger. Nothing else. And so. This is the true meaning of the fast. That a fast is an abstention and a refraining from everything which is displeasing to Allah, not just food and drink. Now when a person does that, then through the purity of their heart and emotions, through the purity of their mind and thoughts through the purity of their speech and words, through the purity of their listening and their conversations, what happens is that this clears the path and clears the way for the feeding of the soul. These good deeds feed the soul. These good deeds lead to better deeds. This good speech leads to better speech. In fact, speaking about taqwa and the purity of speech, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Ahzab, and this is a third verse from the three verses of the khutbah of Nikah, which I alluded to earlier. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَقُولُوا قَوْلًا يصلح لَكُمْ أَعْمَالَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَمَنْ الله وَرَسُولَهُ فَقِدْ be wary of Allah, that same word, taqwa. Be wary of Allah. And say a straight word, i.e., make sure that your speech, your words are straight, proper, correct, upright. What will happen if you ensure that your speech is proper and upright? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يُسْلِحْ أَعْمَالَكُمْ Allah will make good and pious your deeds. What that verse expressly, expressly tells us is that if you can ensure that your speech is pure, Allah in reward and as a consequence, Allah will make your deeds pure. All you have to do is guard your speech, Allah in turn will guard your deeds. You speak well, Allah will give you tawfiq to do good. You make sure your speech is upright and proper, Allah will take care of your deeds and make them upright and proper and pious. And Allah mentions this, purity of speech immediately after taqwa, which means... Allah tells us, O believers, be wary of Allah, i.e. observe taqwa. Then Allah says, guard your speech. Make sure you say an upright word. What this means is, you make your speech proper and upright, Allah will make your deeds good and pious. Through the goodness and the piety of your deeds, you will ultimately and eventually attain taqwa. So the root to taqwa is purity of speech. Purity of speech will lead to purity of deeds. Purity of deeds will lead to taqwa. Everything has a cumulative effect. One thing leads to another. Every simple thing. Many of the brothers who attend dars or majlis here, at times they say that when we stop, so if we don't come once it becomes even more difficult to come the next time. And if we don't come the next time, it becomes even harder to come again. Truly, every instance of missing has a cumulative effect. It makes a subsequent absence easier and attendance difficult. Allah says in Surah al فأما من أعطى واتقى وصدق بالحسنة فسنيسره لليسر، وأما من بخل واستغنى وكذب بالحسنة فسنيسره للعسر. Whoever does Allah says، فأما من أعطى، whoever gives in charity، واتقى and is wary I of Allah، وصدق بالحسنة and who attests to the beautiful thing، i.e. the truth of Islam. The Quran. So he does three good things, which are he gives in charity, he observes taqwa, and he attests and testifies to the truth. How does Allah reward him? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We shall ease him unto ease. And one of the meanings of easing unto ease is that through the barakah and the blessing, of these three good deeds, Allah will give him the tawfiq and the ability and Allah will inspire him to do even more good. And then conversely, Allah says, وَأَمَّا مَنْ بَخِلَ وَالْسَّغْنَىٰ وَكَذَّبَ بِالْحُسْنَىٰ And whoever does three things, the direct opposite of the first three, which is, Instead of giving in charity, وَأَمَّا مَنْ bakhil," Whoever is stingy and withholds and doesn't give in charity. Number two, rather than be wary of Allah, he he considers himself independent and needless of Allah, and therefore heedless of Allah. And number three, the first one, he attests and testifies to the beautiful one, i.e. the Qur'an truth. This person, he does the opposite, which is, and he rejects and belies the truth. What will Allah do in response to these three ill deeds? Allah says, lil-Usra." We shall ease him unto difficulty. And one of the meanings of ease him unto difficulty is that these three ill deeds have a cumulative effect and create a momentum by which this person finds subsequent sins easier to commit. Good leads to good. Ill leads to ill. A good deed leads to subsequent good deeds. Sins lead to subsequent sins. And each sin makes the next sin easier to commit. Each good deed makes the next good deed easier to perform. And this is what happens in fasting. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, that, oh, in Surah Al-Ahzab, O oh believers, be wary of Allah and say, a straight and proper word, an upright word, Allah will make good your deeds. The purity of speech leads to purity of deeds. In one hadith later by Imam Tirmidhi, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi says, all the limbs of a person, they rebuke every morning, all the organs and limbs and the parts of the body of an individual, they scold and rebuke the tongue, even the heart, and they say to the tongue, "Ittaqillah fa faInnama nahna biik." That be wary of Allah in relation to us. Again, the word taqwa. The limbs actually say to the tongue every day, "That O tongue, be wary of Allah." Be, cautious, be conscious and therefore cautious of Allah. Be aware of and therefore wary of Allah. Observe taqwa in respect of Allah when it comes to us. Why? فَإِنَّمَا نَحْنُ bik, For we are as you are. For if you are straight, we are straight. If you are bent, we are bent. It's a hadith of Tirmidhi. And what the Prophet ﷺ tells us in this hadith is that if a person's speech is straight, his deeds are straight. If a person's speech is bent, his deeds are bent. So everything has a cumulative effect and everything creates a momentum. This is why when it comes to fasting, it's not just about abstaining from food and drink. It's about abstaining from haram speech, haram thoughts, haram feelings. When a person ensures purity in these things, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates purity in everything else. All of these good deeds create a momentum of purity. And thereby, a person develops taqwa. We may not understand it, but a good, proper, clean and pure fast, as it should be, creates a higher level of consciousness. In fact... Before I continue let me mention as I've said before that fasting has many unique benefits many unique benefits In fact doctors and medical practitioners have been known to say that when a person fasts the body undergoes so many changes it's like a different machine altogether it really is It's like a different machine. And here I'm talking about physical, mental benefits. It's like a different machine. Even a car. You put certain types of oil in a car, certain types of fuel in a car. It changes the way that machine operates and functions and performs. And the body is highly intelligent. The mind, as far as human beings are concerned, this mind, of just a few pounds of weight, this mind, this brain, in fact I wouldn't say mind, I'll use the word brain, this brain is the most complex organism known to human beings in the entire universe. There is nothing more complex, more complicated, more intricate than the human brain. No supercomputer can match it in its complexity and intricacy. And it controls the body. And when a person fasts, so many changes occur in the body and in the brain. That it's, as I said, medical practitioners and even scientists say that it's almost like the human body is a different machine altogether. It functions and it performs differently. It repairs itself. And that's why some people argue that one of the physical benefits of fasting is that it can actually reverse a number of illnesses, including diabetes. Many people argue that you can actually reverse diabetes through fasting. Of course, uh, it has to be done in a proper manner and I'm not advocating anything in particular. Uh, It should be done under medical supervision and advice and guidance. But there are doctors who are strongly arguing now, and even experts in diabetes, that you, you can fast. And through fasting alone, without any medication, you can reverse a disease as problematic as diabetes. Because the body undergoes so many changes. Now that's just the physical benefits. The mental benefits, I've mentioned before, that fasting creates clarity of mind. It gives people an edge. It makes people sharper, more intelligent. Rather than dulling the brain, it actually makes it sharper. It gives a mental edge. It gives acute clarity to the brain and thinking. And that's just the mental benefit. Now, if these are the radical and remarkable physical and mental benefits, one can just imagine what spiritual benefits Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in fasting. And one of the spiritual benefits is that fasting, as long as it's done properly, creates a higher consciousness and a greater consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It creates a greater awareness of Allah, thereby making the person more wary of Allah, which is taqwa. It creates a higher consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which makes a person more cautious of Allah which is exactly what taqwa is. And this is why Allah says, O believers, fasting has been prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those who came before you. ta'ttaqun, Perhaps you may attain taqwa. And I'll end with a brief discussion about the main, to- the main theme of today's talk, which is fasting, food for the soul. So having said all of this, how does this translate to food for the soul? Well, this is it. Higher spiritual consciousness, greater spiritual awareness, good deeds, purity of speech, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a deeper, stronger connection with Allah, that is food for the soul. That is food for the spirit. And it cannot be realized (coughs) with our human indulgences. You know, we are so worried about fat clogging up our arteries, and rightfully so. We are worried, and rightfully so, about fat clogging up our arteries. About the impurities of food, of excessive food and overindulgence and overconsumption, and glit- gluttony, clogging up our vessels, our arteries, our organs, which leads to our physical death, and rightfully so. But we should also be concerned about junk food, about junk clogging up our ruh, and thereby extinguishing it, and killing it off. And that's what food does. Gluttony, indulgence, consumption. That's what it does. And this is why, Shawaliullah. Waleeullah rahmatullahi alayh, he describes the wisdom of fasting. And he does it so beautifully. He says, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created angels in a unique way which is Allah created angels from nur from light and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them such see this is where that topic comes in the body has been created from the earth. And the soul has been created in heaven and with no elements of the earth. Therefore the food and nourishment of the body will come from the earth, but the food and nourishment of the soul will come from the heavens. And this can be understood from the angels. The angels have been created only from nur, only from light, not from the earth at all. This is why they have no need for food and drink They have no need For food and drink None whatsoever Their nourishment And their support Comes from the tasks that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has given them And their tasks are The obedience of Allah Subh'anaHu wa Ta-A'la. That obedience is their food That obedience Is their nourishment Their energy doesn't come from the sun, or from the soil of the earth, or from food, or drink. Their energy comes from the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They never disobey Allah. And they do only what Allah has commanded them to do. So there are some angels whose sole task is to do the tasbih of Allah. That's all they do, the tasbih of Allah. They are angels whose sole task is to monitor and observe. Their monitoring and observing may appear to be a mundane task. But because it's the obedience of Allah, the obedience of Allah itself is their energy and their nourishment. These are the angels. Since they are only created from light, from noor, from the heavens, and there is no element of the earth in them, they have no need for food, drink, or sleep, or rest. Or no need for recreation, no need for recuperation, no need for food and drink, and no need for procreation. On the other hand, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. Not all of what I have said is what Sha'a Waleelah explains. He only explains the part that humans have been, uh, angels have been created from. Light and nothing else. The, uh, the rest was my explanation. And then, on the other hand, there are the animals. The animals have been created only from the earth. And no light. No element from the heavens. So they don't have a ruh and a spirit as we have. So there is no element of nur or light from them. So they they do not need any energy or nourishment from the heavens. They have been created only from the earth, and therefore their nourishment and their food and their support and their energy only comes from the earth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed certain qualities in the animals, just as he has placed certain qualities in the angels. And in the angels, the qualities are pure. And in the animals, some of the qualities that have been instilled, or the characteristics that have been instilled in the animals are the need for food, drink, the need for consumption, for recreation, for recuperation for procreation they eat they drink they sleep they rest and they procreate these are angels and then in between allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created human beings and allah has created us as a fusion of both so on the one hand our bodies have been created from the earth so we share all the characteristics and the needs of the animals our bodies need to eat our bodies I don't say we, I say our bodies. Our bodies need to eat, our bodies need to drink, our bodies need to rest, our bodies need to procreate. Not our souls. Our souls do not need to eat, or drink, or sleep, or procreate. These are the needs and the demands only of the physical bodies. But then Allah has also given us a ruh Which is divine In the sense that it comes from the heavens And that we share with the angels And since that comes from the heavens Just like the angels Where does the energy and the food and the nourishment of the soul come from? The obedience of Allah The connection of Allah The relationship with Allah It cannot come from these things, from food and drink and rest. Now, the angels Allah has created only from nur, and therefore they are static, i.e. they are as they are. They don't change. The angels do not fall. There is no concept of the fallen angels in Islam. There is no concept of a fallen angel in Islam. Angels do not fall. Angels do not rise. They are as they are. They are who they are the angel the animals are also static in that they do not rise they are as they are we don't say about animals that animals have gone worse or that animals have fallen <coughs> animals are as they are they are beasts and they remain as beasts they do not drop they do not fall they do not rise but in between allah has made us and since we share the qualities and the characteristics of both, we then end up swaying one way or the other. If we continue to nourish and feed ourselves and procreate and rest and indulge in all of these things, to a greater proportion, we will sway towards the animals. And if we... Have less of these things and more of the energy and the nourishment of the soul, similar to the angels, then we will actually rise. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes some humans as That these people are like cattle, like animals, nay they are even more misguided. So only humans are not static, only humans are not stationary we are forever fluctuating and changing. And we can, through our deeds, and in fact, we, through our choice of either nourishing our soul with the the obedience of Allah, rise towards the angels, or by overindulging and overconsuming the same things that the animals consume and sharing their characteristics, we can actually drop and fall to their level. And since we have a tendency for most of our lives to eat, drink, rest, indulge in recreation and procreation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and spend far, far little time, if any, in nourishing our souls with the energy of the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah has told us that in the month of Ramadan, This is forbidden for you. So even if we want to, we don't eat. We can't eat. Even if we want to, we don't drink. We can't drink. Even if we want to, we cannot have conjugal relations. By abstaining from these things, and this also tells us this, that we shouldn't be sleeping through our fast either, all day long by refusing our bodies these things we open up the way for nourishing and energizing our souls through the obedience of Allah and thereby rising and giving life to our souls this is why fasting is food for the soul Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made fasting a thing of great benefit And not just physically and mentally. Although these are secondary benefits which are welcome. But the primary purpose of fasting is taqwa. And taqwa is greater awareness of Allah, therefore the wariness of Allah. Taqwa is the greater consciousness of Allah, therefore the caution of Allah. And that's exactly what taqwa is. This is what the fast is designed to develop, instill, inculcate in a person. And this is why Fasting is actually food for the ruh, food for the soul, food for the spirit, which makes a person a better person, a human more human, and a believer closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what fasting is and what it should be. But all of these benefits only accrue as long as the fast is a fast, which is abstention from everything that's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And although it's permissible to eat a lot at Sahur and eat a lot at iftar. <coughs> An even better fast is one whereby a person controls their consumption even at sahur and also controls their consumption even at iftar. And such a fast will have even greater benefits, both physically, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enables us to understand. May Allah make us amongst those who spend the coming month of Ramadan in the best manner possible. May Allah make, make our fasts beneficial for us in every sense of the word, and especially in our closeness, closeness, closeness to Allah, in our gaining greater consciousness and awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thereby leading to greater taqwa. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك